Well, happy Easter, Resonate Church. Man, happy Easter to you. Man, forgive me if I'm a little juiced and pumped up this morning because not only is all of our Hayward campus and the online campus are tuning in, celebrating together the resurrection, but did you know that billions of Christians all around the world are celebrating together right now the utter reality and fact the historical death of Jesus became the historical resurrected Jesus, and he is risen indeed. He is risen indeed. And I'm pumped about that. I'm also super pumped that many of you guests are here today. Listen, I, 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 we have three services here, three in Hayward and the online campus. We're celebrating all these guests. I don't know if you've been bribed here. I don't know if you've been dragged here. I don't know if you've been duped here. Someone, hey, why don't we get some coffee and some donuts this morning? They're like, okay. And you didn't know it was going to be a church. And so, so you're here and you've been bribed. But listen, I'm so grateful. You are loved. You are welcomed. You are warmly welcomed here. And so to show you that, hey, Resonators, can we just warmly welcome our guests? We're so glad you're here. Yes. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Hey, before we get into the text, I'm doing something new. Okay, I've never done this in the history of Resonate. Um, and, and we don't have a lot of traditions. Uh, we're only 13 years old. We're still a baby. We're wacky teens right now. But listen, um, we're doing this thing called Easter at Resonate. Could you just show me that you have one of these? Uh, this is like ticket in. If you don't have it, you have to leave. Just kidding. And so like you have this. Listen, we have name, email, phone number. Would you fill that out? And the way you do that is you write it in so that we could communicate with you. There's a ton of things that are happening. You could be filled in and what we do. But more importantly, we would love to pray for you. Here's prayer requests on the bottom. And if you write down your prayers, and I hope you have some, man, we would love, there's a team of us that take each prayer. And this, and for the next two weeks, we're going to dedicate ourselves to pray over these things. We're going to cry out to the heavens and to the throne of grace. And we believe God in faith will answer many of these. And so would you write that? And then you flip that over, and here's a surprise, 2023 Easter survey. Now, why is this? Look at the question here. It says, what are the greatest areas of stress that people are experiencing? And what, the reason why I'm doing this is because I want you to check all that applies. And from this, and I'm taking a survey here, and if it's not here, then you write in, your, uh, in the other section your particular stress. And I would love to gather this information and actually formulate a sermon series during the summer for it. Now, I want to teach through the Bible how God could be your solution through the stresses of your life. And that would help me. And so if you could just kind of like bless me, would you fill that out? And as you leave, there's going to be baskets that people will be holding. Would you insert this and deposit that then? And that would be really, really great. Now, we're starting a brand new series called Facets. And if you know a facet of a diamond... You know a diamond has many facets. And every engaged person right now, especially dudes, you know what a facet is. Uh, you know what a diamond is. In fact, the first time you've ever gone to a gemologist, that's not the hospital, you went to see a gemologist is, is to, it, because you're engaged and you have a rock fund and you're ready to spend it. And it, that was my case, man. The first gemologist I went um, presented me a tiny little stone this big. And, and he showed it to me with a headlamp and literally this little stone shines so brilliantly. 
It was the most beautiful stone I've ever seen. I'm like, I get to give this to my future wife? It's amazing. And, and the reason why it shines is the light that penetrates in all these refractions, you know, and from the crown to the bezel to the girdle to the pavilion of a tiny diamond, it reflects into your eyes, and you're like, wow, if you spin it, this is a beautiful, beautiful stone. In the same way, when you spin the resurrection around, you would see the brilliance the beauty that will actually captivate you. And the Bible will tell us that the resurrection has actual power to give us today that could be life-changing. So for the next five weeks, what we want to do is to start a sermon series where we look at the very best chapter in all of the Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, addressing the resurrection. And so the next four weeks, we're going to talk about specific aspects of resurrection that actually uh, encourages us, empowers us, and emboldens us, and changes us. But today, I'm going to give you a big overview of the entire chapter. And so today, I'm going to start with a thesis, the very thesis that Apostle Paul, who's the writer of this chapter, says it's found in the very last verse of this entire chapter. And he says this, if you believe in the resurrection, you will become impervious to all of life's troubles. That's the promise, impervious. It doesn't mean that life troubles won't come to you, but that you will be, these are the two words he uses, steadfast and immovable through them. Man, wouldn't that be great? if the scriptures could actually give you that strength and that power to be steadfast and immovable through all of your troubles in life. Because certainly the book of James says that you will receive troubles, you will face troubles, and some people collapse over the weight of those. But if you are a believer who actually banks on and lives out the resurrection power, then you will be steadfast and immovable. How? Paul shows us two ways. First, he says, you must believe in the resurrection. You must believe in the resurrection. Look at verse 3. For I deliver to you as of first importance, that's very important, that I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12 disciples, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom were still alive. Now, here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, if you want to get the benefits of the power of the resurrection, here's what you have to believe. You must believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he's basically saying this, y'all, you're not crazy for believing that a dead man came out alive. You're not crazy. And Paul's saying he first showed himself to 12 people, then 500 others. This is proof. Paul is not leaning on your faith to say, hey, you need to have more faith. What he's saying is you need to lean into more truth, historical truth. You must believe these things. And he gives us massive proof to show us that this actually happened. Now, speaking of proofs, there was a recent time when I needed to validate who I was through some proof. In fact, a few months ago, I was in Dallas speaking at a conference and uh, pastor Jim, our pastor, was with me, and uh, I spoke, and then we were going home. We were eager to come back home to our family and our church, and we got to the Dallas airport, and we're waiting in the TSA line, and guess what? The line wasn't moving. 10 minutes, 30, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, it was not moving. 
then finally somebody comes along and the attendant says, hey, 10 minutes walking distance right here, you know. Um, there's another TSA line. If you want to go there, go. And all of a sudden, the entire mob just started running and dashing towards that line. And of course, when everybody runs, you run, right? And so you start running, but it was super pathetic because Pastor Jim has a hip problem. And I have a knee problem. And it was like grown men, like, like literally being passed up by old grandmas with walking sticks. And like, it was terrible. It was a scene. But we finally got there, not in 10 minutes, probably about 20. And we got there and we're waiting in line. I got to the front and guess what? The wallet that I had in my hand in my pocket was gone. My ID was gone. I'm like, how am I going to get through? I'm like, we're searching frantically. It was not there. Finally, I get to the front of the line and I'm like, miss, miss, not ma'am, miss. Um, I, I have my wallet, but it's gone. It, I don't know what happened to it. And she's like, well, I need a form of ID. I'm like, oh. Like, and I realized on my phone, I have a picture of my driver's license and my passport. I showed it to her. She's like, that's not going to do. Then Pastor Jim had a brilliant idea in the moment. He's like, wait, wait, does this work? And he brought out the brochure of the conference that we just attended that I spoke at. And he's like, there's a picture. That's him. And here's the description. He lives in Fremont, huh? He's a, he's a pastor. They're like, oh, that doesn't work, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> if you say you're a pastor, it gets you no points. And so she's like, no, you need an official document. So I'm like, how am I going to get home? She said, well, you have to prove who you say you are. How am I going to do that? Well, we have to call the Transportation Security Agency all the way in Washington, D.C., and you're going to have to take a test, a test of six questions that they will ask randomly, but it's not like the credit card questions where you could stall and you could, like, guess again. No, you only get one time to answer. You have to answer quickly, and you have to get 100%. I'm like, awesome. I love tests. I'm Asian. This is what I'm, this is it. This is, I'm built for this stuff. Let's go. And so I'm here waiting on the phone, just waiting. And all of a sudden, without warning, without salutation, greeting, it's just like, first question. I'm like, oh my gosh. Dong. He's like, what is the nearest gas station to your house? Ooh, there's two. Ah, Arco? She didn't even say correct. Next question. She's like, what did your dad major in in college? Like, oh, he was an engineer and sold purses. I don't think that's a major. So engineer, next question. And she's like, when's the last time you were admitted to the hospital? I was like, oh my gosh. And guess what? I passed. And so I got to go through, right? And think about it. To the TSA agent, I had ID on my phone. I had nothing in my bag. I had another man who was a pastor, who is a pastor, who validated for me through a brochure that was physical in print. And I answered all these random crazy questions correctly. You would think that the TSA agent would look at me and say, 100%, that's the dude. He, he is who he says he is, right? Well, listen, God's way of verifying Jesus' identity to the world was not through answering six questions. Do you know what it was through? Prophecy. And not just six prophecies, 322 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in his lifetime alone. And there were vague prophecies or predictions like your horoscope makes. You will run into somebody that will smile at you today. No, that's not the kind of horoscope prophecies that it was talking about. It was prophecies like the tiny city that he was born in. The fact that he was going to be born of a virgin that he'd be betrayed exactly for 30 pieces of silver. They prophesied the exact hour of his death. 
And that when he died, his feet and his hands will be pierced. And that no bones will be broken, even though all the crucifixions, they have bones broken. And that he will be buried in a borrowed tomb. That he'd be resurrected in three exact days. Listen, this is not six layers of verification, but it was proof through 322 direct layers of verification. So today, as we sit, I don't appeal to you to lean into faith. I'm appealing to you to lean into truth, that Jesus Christ fulfilled all these prophecies and what he says is true. He was dead, he was buried, and now he's risen again for the glory of God. Praise God. Praise God. But could I give you even more proof? Paul says that there were these eyewitnesses in 1 Corinthians 15. And man, these guys didn't make up this story. You know, you know, modern secular scholars think this, you know. They just made it up. They colluded with one another. They got together and said, hey, let's just say this. You know, somebody stole his body from the grave. He's not alive. You know, he's dead and somebody stole that body, right? Well, let's think about this for a second. You know, when people lie, they always lie for an advantage, right? So that you could gain an advantage, to get ahead of life in position or in finance, to get a raise, or maybe you could get a social benefit, or you could even actually hide your shame. Whatever it is, we hide and we lie so that we could gain benefits. Well, do you know what those 500 witnesses who testified of Jesus' resurrection, you know what they got? Death. Death. They got death. Now, some of you might know this man named Chuck Colson. He was a believer. He was a lawyer in his previous life. But more famously, he was the special advisor to President Nixon during the Watergate scandal. And if you don't know what a Watergate scandal is, Google it later, later, but Google it. But you know what? He ended up going to prison for it. And after doing his time, Chuck Colson came out and described how the six men who committed this crime, that they knew, they knew that they were going to be prosecuted. So what did they do? They got together and they colluded. They literally got together and said, hey, listen, uh, we're going to do prison unless we have a story. So they made up a story together and said, we shall not, no matter what happens, will not break. We're going to hold on to the story. It doesn't matter if they put a gun pointed at our heads. We're going to actually say the same thing, and we're going to get out. And we won't be prosecuted. We won't be committed to jail. We're going to live. And now Paul, Chuck Colson tells a story and says that these men were, were not easily broken men. These were leaders of, like, the CIA and, you know, the Marine Corps and special agents, special forces. These were some of the most battle-tested, physically and mentally tough dudes he's ever known. And so before the meeting, they vowed together with one another. No matter what happened, they would stick to the story to stay out of trouble. Do you know what happened? It only took two weeks before every single one revealed the truth. Every single one confessed for a reduced sentence in prison. Every single one. Now think about this. How about the disciples? The 11 disciples, right? Um, some of them were even proven cowards, right? Like Peter. And all 500 people that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, every single one of them, was willing to go to their grave to testify the fact that Jesus rose again. Listen, Blaise Pascal, the mathematician, the philosopher, he says, I believe witnesses who get their throats cut. What he means by that is like, you know what? People who are willing to risk their lives, they're pretty believable. And I believe that too. 
Every one of them is willing to put their life on the line in the belief that Jesus rose again. And this is why Paul says in verse 20, he says, but in fact, he doesn't say, but in faith. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And that's why we say today, when we say he is risen, you respond by saying, he is risen indeed. Let's do that again. He is risen. He is risen indeed. You see that indeed is, it's a fact. It's a fact. It's a observable historical fact. So first, you must believe in the resurrection. But secondly, you must believe that after you believe, there's an effect to that. Uh, The resurrection frees you from sin and death. That's the effect of believing in the resurrection. Look at what Paul says in verse 17. He says, if Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. What's conversely, Paul is saying is, if Christ is raised, your faith is effective and you are free from both sin and death. Well, how? Well, let me explain it this way. If you ever go to a funeral, you know, you'll run into somebody who will eventually say, well, death is so natural. You know, it's so natural. It's like the circle of life. You watch the Lion King. You know, everybody lives, everybody dies, and you live again, whatever, you know. Death is natural. Is it, though? Is it natural? Because I don't think so. I think for some reason, nobody likes to talk about death. You know, like, there are natural things that we love to talk about, like, you know, food, nature, even our ailments. Like, it's natural that my knee hurts because I'm getting older, right? It's natural. But next time when you go to a party, try to bring up death, the subject of death. Hey, let's talk about death. See if people are vibing with you. And they won't. Why? Because essentially, nobody likes death. Nobody wants to even talk about death because it's not natural. And in some ways, people are doubting, what if after death, what happens to me? In fact, there's a pagan philosopher named Epicurus. He says something fascinating about death. He says, if we could be sure that death was an annihilation, then there would be no fear of it. For as long as we exist, death is not there. And when it does come, we no longer exist. We lose our consciousness. But we can't totally be sure it's annihilation. You see, what people fear most is that not death is an annihilation, but maybe death is not. Oof. And this is a pagan philosopher wondering, here's the scariest thing about death. Nobody knows what's on the other side. See? And he's saying, what if, what if, man, it'd be so nice if I lose consciousness, I wouldn't be afraid of death. But what if my conscience still lives and it's eternal and there's torment, there's a judge. And this is why most people, when they're dying, they feel a sense of guilt to say, my goodness, I should have lived a different life. I should have lived differently. What is this? It's an acknowledgement of judgment that is to come. See, that's what it is, right? So how does this resurrection give us freedom from sin and death? Well, here's the gospel. We are dead to our sins. And because we're dead, there's nothing that a sinner can do to be reconciled to a holy God. That it doesn't matter how many times you come to church. It doesn't matter how, how many Easter's, how many Christmas services, how many times you pray, what kind of confession that you make. It does not matter. You cannot appease God. You can't reconcile to God because he's holy and you and I are dead in our trespasses. It doesn't say we're sick in our trespasses. It says we're dead, which means that dead people don't have the ability to reconcile themselves because why? We're spiritually dead. And so in order for us to be reconciled with the holy God, There's nothing we could do and everything he must do. 
he must engage us to be reconciled. And therefore, he does and he sends his only begotten son to come to save us, to live a perfect life that on the cross, God treated Jesus as if he had lived your lives. He got the punishment for me and that his perfect life came into our account. And therefore, now God treats us as if we had lived Jesus's life. And that's the great exchange of the gospel, that he dies the death that we should have died, and now we get to live a life as if we lived his life. And so when Jesus went to the earth and came out of the grave, this is the way God was telling us, listen, I'm giving you a receipt to say that your sins, every single one, every single one that you have committed to every single one that you will commit in the future, it's been paid in full. It's been paid in full. You go to Ranch 99, you carry that box of rice or that box of fruit. They put that little sticker, paid in full. You got that sticker over your heart. You're paid in full. Well, let me illustrate the significance of this because, listen, I'm about to tell you an illustration, one of my favorite illustrations that I share about every three years. And so if this is uh, recognizable and you remember it, that means you've been here for over three years. Congratulations. And if you haven't, man, welcome. Glad that you're here. It's my Costco illustration. And you know how this goes, right? Now, listen, there's some brave people in this world, firefighters, you know, police officers, you know, first responders. Ain't nobody more brave than somebody who's willing to go to Costco on a weekend. Ooh, ooh right? And that's, that's silly. Why would anybody do that? I don't know. I did. And so we decided to go to Costco. It was just me and my young son at the time. And I propped him up in this little cart. And of course, as always, we go to Costco and we never buy the things that are on our list, but we buy a bunch of things that's not. And so we had a pile of stuff that we brought and we cashed out and you have that receipt. And one of the most fun things about Costco besides their cheap hot dog is that you get this receipt. And if you as an adult give that to the attendant near the door, she'll put a straight what? Line, right? Like, it's just like so vindictive and judgment-filled. Like, ugh, right? It's awful. But when a child hands that receipt, what do you get? A happy face, right? And so, of course, it made sense for me to give the receipt to my four-year-old son, who is super responsible. And so we go, and we get to the end of the line, and it's time to show the receipt. And I'm like, look at my son, and he has no receipt. So I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I look back, and there was a stampede of wild animals coming at me with these metal huge vehicles that were, like, pushing me and honking if they could. And I was freaking out. And I told the attendant, ma'am, I'm sorry, but you know what? I actually bought this. So could we just pass? And she's like, oh, hell no. Like, no, no, I'm like, that ain't going to happen. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm a parent. Why would I lie? She's like, hmm? And I did one worse. I said, but I'm a pastor. <laughs> She's like, you especially ain't going through. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, man, what am I going to do? And I was at the height of my frustration in that moment. All of a sudden, somebody taps me as an old lady that picked up my receipt and said, is this yours? And it was about this long. And I said, it is mine. And you know what I did? I shoved it at that attendant's face, right? I'm like, listen, I told you, paid in full, baby. I paid for this stuff. So I get to go out, and literally, because you were in sin, you couldn't get out of the grave. But because Jesus lived the life that you couldn't, and he rose from the grave, he gave you a payment. And now he says, paid in full. Paid in full. You are paid in full. 
That's the receipt of the resurrection. The resurrection means every sin you've ever committed and then you will commit. It's been paid in full. So you don't owe a single penny. You're free and clear. So what is the resurrection? It is your spiritual receipt that your sins are paid for. In fact, Romans 4.25 says this. Christ was delivered over to death for what? Our sins and was raised to life for our what? Justification. You know what justification is? It's your receipt. See, I pay for it. And somebody paid for you. And that was Jesus. Paid in full. But listen, that's not all. There's more good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. But because he hung on the cross, on the cross, his final words were, it is finished. He didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. And what he says is that he's, if, he, if he's not finished, then here's the good news for all of us in this room and in Hayward in our home. If he's not finished, you're not finished. You are not finished. And because the same power that raised him from the dead is now available to you, he will one day raise you from the dead. And he's doing things in your life right now that was once dead. And because you're not the person that you used to be, now you get to live as as you were made to be right now under the resurrection power. And so this is an incredible, incredible reality for the Christian. There's an old theologian named Frederick Buchner. He said this, the resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. Oh, there's not enough people that heard that, so I got to say it again. You guys might have had brunch or something, maybe some gravy, so I got to say that again. The resurrection means that the worst thing is not the last thing. Amen. 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 In other words, when you believe in the resurrection... You don't have to do things that you used to do because in Christ, you're not the person you used to be. You're a brand new creation. So the worst thing is never the last thing. The worst thing in your life never gets the final word. And so let me give you a visual illustration of how this works. Guilt. Because of the resurrection, guilt is not your last word. It's not. Here's the good news because many of you are beating yourself up. You have an inner voice in you to say, man, I can't believe I'm that person. I sin all the time. In fact, some of you have secret sins that nobody knows. And you're just living and you're like, man, how can I sing these songs? How can I come to church? And this is some of the reasons why, because of guilt, you haven't been here in a while. You're like, how can I come with all this sin in my life? Because I'm guilty. You're like, no, you could come. You're like, no, Ryan, you don't understand. You don't understand the kind of sin that I've committed. You don't understand my life. Now, the problem isn't that I don't understand what you have done. The problem is you don't understand what he did. You don't understand. He died for you. He paid for you. And so that if you forget these days and when you have guilt over your life, you have to remember that you have a spiritual receipt and you'll look at it and you'll see all the itemized lists of every sin you've ever committed and Jesus paid that in full and therefore in your life guilt does not have the last word it does not have the last word how about grief some of you have gone through some tremendous grief this year some of the most tears that you've ever cried and shed was this year I mean through the pandemic some of us lost families and lost longtime friends over an election. Factions, troubles, division in the church. 
people who celebrated the gospel, making little things into the biggest things. But not only that, some of you have experienced some terrible grief and terrible situations. You've experienced divorce. Some of you have had uh, people that you love that succumbs to cancer and other diseases of this world. Some of you have lost parents, friends. Some of you might have even lost your child. But this is what the resurrection does. If you believe in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, he promises us that one day our bodies today will not be the bodies of tomorrow and that one day you will be united with your loved one and you and they and all of us will live together because Jesus was resurrected. But it's not that only Jesus gets resurrected. He happens to be just first and we get to also be resurrected too. Therefore, grief will no longer have the final word because he says in Revelation, all the tears will be God. He will wipe away every tear, every grief, every pain. So no longer grief as the last word in your life. No, it doesn't. How about addiction? Some of you are addicted today. Some of you cannot get out of the bondage of what you are doing over and over again. And through your addiction, many of you have ruined your life. Nothing could be restored. Good news is that because of the resurrection, do you know what the resurrection does? It makes dead things into new things. And what that means is if Jesus could defeat and conquer death, your little addiction is no match for Jesus Christ and he will heal you and if you could proclaim to him and you could call out his name the power of resurrection he will heal you release you and eventually completely free you from every addiction so addiction no longer has the last word in your life <laughs> how about anxiety and worry man some of us are so worried some of us are chock full of anxiety all the unknowns. What if this? What if that? We sometimes wish life would just be something that we could fast forward and just make sure that we know. You know, sometimes you read a book and you're like, oh, it's getting, I'm a little anxious, so I'm going to read the end of the book to find out all the characters live. And we do that for movies. You know that in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul does the same. This is what he says. In the future, he says in verse 24, then comes the end. He's showing us a preview. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. This means he will be victorious. It means that everything that you could worry about, he will show you. And if he doesn't heal you now of your worry, one day you will get the complete peace that you've been dreaming of forever. And therefore, anxiety no longer is your last word in your life. Man, and most importantly, listen, death is not the last word in your life if you believe in the resurrection. Death. You know, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 55, Paul says this, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And what this means, here the word sting in the Greek is kentron. It means a deadly sting, a venomous sting, like one that you get from a scorpion or even a snake that will kill you. And the good news of the gospel is this venom all went to Jesus and he got stung and he experienced that death so that you might experience not an ounce, a morsel, a, a, a drop of this venom. 
You've been sanctified by his pure blood and his life. And therefore, you and I will live forever and ever and ever. You know how long eternity is? It's a really long time. And you and I will get to enjoy that eternity in the presence of God. You will live beyond this life. You'll never experience death. And therefore, you know, Billy Graham once said, soon you're going to hear that Billy Graham is dead. Oh, don't you believe it? Because I'll be more alive than ever before. (laughs) And this is what Paul says. Oh, death, where's your sting then? Where's your victory? He's mocking death because he believes in the death and the resurrection of Christ. And therefore, death does not have the last word in our life. It does not. So listen, all this power of the resurrection can be had in our lives is available to you. How? You can't buy it. You can't even earn it. It is by faith and faith alone. You can't say, man, I've been saved because, you know, I, I, come to, I come to church on Easter and Christmas. You can't say, well, I, I prayed a prayer. Or you can't even say, well, I, I joined a group or I, I went to confession. I got baptized as a child. None of those things save. Hey, you might say, well, you know, my parents were believers, so... Listen, do you know that God does not have grandchildren? He only has children. So you can't bank on somebody else's faith for you to be actually covered. No, it is by faith and faith alone. And if you sincerely believe today, and maybe you've never put your faith sincerely in this Jesus, in this death, in this resurrection power, and you realize you've never crossed that line of faith, And let's say, I want to give you that opportunity today in all of our campuses, online, Hayward. Listen, God has been doing some amazing things. Today already, we've had over 75 people declare their salvation. They went from death to life. In the beginning of this year, we set out a goal to say, Lord, if you, if you would will, could we see 100 salvations in the Bay Area through our church? Just 100. And just today, just today, the Lord is doing a kind of work that is just mind-blowing and brilliant and all-consuming. And so I want to make that opportunity available for you in all of our campuses. So would you do me a great favor? Would you just bow your heads now and just close your eyes? Yeah, would you do that favor for me? And if you're realizing that today you need to cross the line and you want that resurrection power that keeps you steadfast and immovable through all circumstances, will you just pray this with me with a sincere heart? Pray, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm so broken. Pray, I I put other things in my life before you. And therefore, I'm in need of a Savior. But pray, I I believe you died and rose again. I believe you lived a life that I couldn't live and died the death that I needed and should have died. But with a sincere heart, today, I receive your grace through faith. So thank you for adopting me as your son and daughter. And as you keep your heads bowed and eyes closed if you pray that for the very first time or maybe perhaps for the very first time sincerely understanding 
the gospel of the resurrection, then here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in the count of three. And I do that because I believe something solidifies in you in your life spiritually when you do something physically. And so on the count of three, just boldly, as boldly as Christ has died for you, would you just raise your hand on the count of three? Ready? Let's do this. One, he loves you. Two, you are here for a reason. Three, hands raised boldly all around the room. Yes, yes. Yes, families and couples raising up. Keep your hands up in Hayward, online. We want to count you. We believe that the Spirit of God is working in this place. Yes, praise God. Let me pray for you. Father, every person raising their hand, I trust and believe in faith that they have been ushered in from death to life because you rose from the grave. And so we celebrate the resurrection power that comes into them. And now for all of us, we pray that we too will live in it. You are glorious. You are too kind and gracious and wonderful. And we want to worship you all the days of our lives. We love you. We thank you. And we continue to celebrate this great day of resurrection. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Praise God. Let's praise God and let's celebrate him. Yes. Yes.